thought it'd be incredible for us to learn from the Word of God, what does God say about sports? What does God say about play? What does God say about entertainment? Now, raise your hand if you think you know, I'm not gonna call on you, raise your hand if you think you know who the highest paid athlete in the history of, of the world that we're aware of was. Raise your hand if you, know, if you think you know who that is. Let me see, this section, anybody? Okay, couple of you, anybody in this section? Okay, all right, okay. All right, not many of you are confident. All right, we're a very insecure church. Okay, raise your hand if you think it might be LeBron James. LeBron James, anybody? No, okay. Michael Jordan, raise your hand. Okay. Ronaldo, raise your hand. Okay, we've got more of you. Okay, how about Diocles? <laughs> Nobody's heard of Diocles? Diocles is the highest paid athlete that we have any knowledge of in the history of the Western world. You say, Diocles who? Diocles lived about 100 years, give or take, after the Apostle Paul was writing in the Bible. He was in the ancient Roman world. He was actually from Spain, and he was a chariot racer. He raced for over 20 years, and he raced anywhere from two horses, he did those races, up to seven horses he would race in those races as well. So he did it all. Chariot racing was such a big deal in the Roman world that he got paid higher than any of the names that I have just mentioned. Some of you are thinking, man, we're just crazy about sports, and we're crazier about sports today than we've ever been. Not so. He got, okay, first of all, let me tell you a little bit about the money at that time. He made a grand total of 35,863,120 sesterces, okay? Now, y'all are like, sesterces, wow, that's a lot of money. Now, we don't know what that is, right? You don't know what it is, I don't know what it is. It's half a denarius, but let me give you a little picture of what that looks like. If you had 400, remember he made over almost 36 million. If you had 400,000 sesterces, you were considered wealthy, okay? Um, if you were a senator, you had to have a minimum of a million sesterces. He had 35 million sesterces from sports, and this is recorded, and in today's money, multiple different sources estimate that that would be worth around 10 to 15 billion dollars. Yes, somebody wanted to clap for Diocles. <laughs> and we have Diocles jerseys out in the lobby. <laughs> but the point I'm making is, sports is not new. This is not something that we've just now discovered. And when the Bible was being written, sports was a big deal. It gripped the culture for good and for bad, for light and for dark, funny, not so funny. It gripped the culture every bit the way it grips our culture now. So in the midst of that, how did the writers of Scripture, how does God teach us how to understand our role with sports? How do we handle play? How are we to enjoy entertainment? Well, the framework is found in Romans chapter one. This is the framework that we lean into for this entire series. Romans chapter one, verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie 
and worshiped what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever, amen. So what do we learn here? This is the title of our series, Good Gift, Bad God. So first let's talk about sports. As the Bible would portray it, does the Bible say sports is a good gift? Yes. Now you may be surprised to hear this because what you would expect to hear from church folk, because we're notoriously grumpy, Church folk are the notoriously killer of any good time. For some of you, God, the Bible, church is the last place you would look for a good time. And I'm here to say that just does not reflect the word of God. God is very clear on this, that God is the creator of good time. That God is the one who wired you for laughter. God's the one who gave you taste buds to enjoy your food. God's the one who invented that we would react to humor. God's the one who understood that we would be touched by poetry and song. And God is the one who gives us play. So what is the good gift of play? Well, first of all, when you look at the life of Jesus, he doesn't talk a lot about sports and play. He does refer to it at one point when he's making an illustration. He talks about children playing, but many commentators believe his entire life demonstrated sometimes a little playfulness with humor, playfulness with his storytelling. And then you look at the Apostle Paul who followed Jesus and wrote so much of our New Testament. The Apostle Paul, he referred to sports. He did a lot more with sports. See, I think, I think Paul was a sports fan. He liked to talk about sports. Check it out in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. He said, do you not know that in, race, in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? In other words, he's talking about there's no participation trophies in that day, all right? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and we know that from athletes. Y'all ever uh, hear about Dirk Nowitzki when he was playing his regiment and his diet? You've heard about Tom Brady and his food and his diet and all of the self-control and the sleep and, and all of the things that they put themselves through to be excellent. Then he says this, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others I myself must be disqualified. So what's he doing? He is using sports as a commendable illustration for a bigger point. He does it in 2 Timothy chapter two. An athlete is not crowned unless he completes according to the rules. 2 Timothy chapter four. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So what are we to take from this? What are we to learn from this? So the Bible is not running away from sports. Or the only time the Bible talks about the sports, it's like wagging its finger at us saying, how dare you? No. Here's what we learn, and we learn this throughout the series. In the middle of a broken world, and this is a broken world. This is a world, we just talked about the darkness of sports. This is a world filled with broken hearts. This is a world that will disappoint you. You look around and you see those that are homeless. You hear of those 
that live in places that are starving? And you might be tempted to say, how could I enjoy the Super Bowl when people are starving? How could I, you know, just enjoy sports and play, and how could I play a video game while there, while there are people that are out there homeless? How can I be that indulgent, right? Here it is, in the middle of a broken world like that, God gives us good gifts to be enjoyed his way. In the middle of a broken world, you wanna know what that means? God is a father. He's your father, he's your creator. And as much as I like to think about how much I love my children, and I love giving my children good gifts, it brings us great joy at Christmas when we nail a gift. You know, I've also had the other experience where I give a bad gift and it's kinda like, they're, they're like faking it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You've done that. I love it when I nail a good gift. I love it when I give something to Susan and she's like, how did you, what? I love that. As much as I enjoy that, God is a perfect father and he loves to give you good gifts. He loves to give us good gifts. Those good gifts are to be enjoyed his way. So when you think about entertainment and play, it's a good gift from God, and it's a gift that we will play, did you know this, forever. We will play forever. This is gonna wreck your theology on heaven. Because some of you, you're a little bit worried about heaven. I can, I can see it. You're a little worried about what it's gonna be like for all eternity. You're like, am I gonna get bored floating on a cloud playing a harp? <laughs> or, or some of you, am I gonna be just mindlessly bored sitting in a white room with Morgan Freeman God? <laughs> Let me help you, that's bad, bad theology. Theology, the Bible does not tell you that you're gonna be floating on a cloud. God says, I'm gonna make the earth new again and I'm gonna take back what the devil stole and I'm gonna bring back what was broken and I'm gonna make a new heaven and I'm gonna make a new earth and I'm gonna give you a new body. Yeah, that one I'm saying amen to. And yes, yeah, we got claps for that one. This is the promise. And when he begins to talk about the future like that, for those who would believe in Jesus, Okay, this is what he says, Zechariah 8, 5, and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. That's a, that's a picture of eternity. Streets filled with kids playing sports. Have you ever heard that? How about Isaiah chapter 11, verse six, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together and the little child shall lead them. So here's the picture. You have predator and prey. What we now know as predator and prey, you have the wolf, the lamb, the leopard, the goat, the calf, and the lion, and they're all hanging out together, and there's this little kid beating on a drum, leading the parade of these animals. That's, what he, that's the picture that he's painted there. Play, fun, humor, excitement. We will play forever. And that's exciting. Whatever joy you've gotten from playing sports, whatever joy you have from watching your kids play sports, it's a good gift from a good God. And let's thank him for the good gift, shall we? 
Thank you, God, for play, entertainment, and sports. But it's a bad God. It's a bad God. First Corinthians chapter 10 says, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So the three idolatries Paul chose to point out in that Roman world in Corinth, Corinth held some of the biggest games in, the, in Rome, in the, in the Roman world. He said, you have the idolatry of eating. Food is a good gift, amen. It's a bad God. It's a bad friend. Food, I heard that last week. Food's a bad friend. Drink. The Bible says wine is a gift from the Lord. If that's what the Bible says, that's what it is. If Jesus made wine, then it's not in and of itself evil. But when people abuse it, that good gift turns into a bad God to the point some of us can't even touch it. Right? Good gift, bad God. And what's the third thing he chose to point out in the triumvirate of idolatry in 1 Corinthians 10? Play. Play. Sport. Entertainment. It could be as much of an idol as food can be an idol, as alcohol or drink could be an idol. Feasting and playing, he points out, is a dangerous game if you were to exalt it above its place. And that's the way it goes. It's a good gift. Receive it as a good gift from the Lord. So challenge yourself. Challenge yourself. Imagine if you were to have, and this is a silly illustration, it's the best I could come up with. Imagine if from some remote tribe in the Amazon, they brought a person from that remote tribe and they said, this person's gonna be with you for a week. You're like, okay, I'm up, let's go. And that person went with you to Friday Night Lights. I already miss Friday Night Lights, by the way. Went with you to the football game on a Friday night or a college game on a Saturday or whatever it may be, Mavs game, whatever your favorite thing is. Went and experienced the tailgating and experienced the celebrating and your team, it was a nail biter and your fist is in the air and you're shouting and you're, you're celebrating and you have a friend and you're, you're chest bumping and you're squealing like a little girl and you're a man. And then Sunday, our new friend from the Amazon goes with you to church. And you're not early. Come on, help me. I'm not picking on you. Slow, grumpy, arguing. Right as you pull into church, all right, all right, all right. They walk with you through the doors and the music starts. And they're watching you. And if you were to ask them, which is their God? They would say clearly, Friday Night Lights. It gets more passion. It brings them more pleasure. They're spending money happily, freely, 
crossed arms when it's time to give. And I'm telling you, these are the symptoms of a good gift to be enjoyed becoming a bad God. If you're in sports, students, it's the difference between confidence and cockiness. Confidence would say, I'm in, I'm in the good gift. This is a good gift. I love my good gift. And God has given me ability. Let's, let's not lie about it. Like false humility. No, I'm not really that good. Now you're a liar. If you're good, you're good. God has given me this ability. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to exercise my, my dominion in this activity, and I'm going to give it my very best. I'm going to give it my very best. That's confidence. Cockiness would use your talent to dominate others in such a way that you would see them as less than yourself. One of the great tests, if you truly have superior gifts in any aspect of life, play, entertainment, work, is when you know you've been gifted, you ask yourself to those that haven't been gifted, how can I serve them? You humble yourself. Isn't that what Jesus did? So let's read the second part of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Remember, don't be idolaters, eating, drinking, and play. And then in verse 31, so whether you eat or drink, he's coming back. Whether you eat or whether you drink, and he could have said, or play, but he just made it bigger. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. So my kids' sports will not come at the expense of their relationship with Jesus. I'm not anti-sport, I'm pro-sport. I've, I've done it all. Yesterday I made the mistake of calling what we were doing a recital. It was a competition. I was corrected by Georgia. I've been to the, to the, by the way, dancing and cheer is full blown a sport. I, I'm telling you, I was, I was skeptical as a, as a dad. I was skeptical and then I went to practice and I saw how hard they were working. I'm like, there it is. Unbelievable, you know, and they, they've gotta work so hard to get to where they could do the, you know, the things and when they kick, you know, at the competition, it's like, Ah, you know, it's just weird stuff, but it's impressive. And spinning around, and ah, it's just unbelievable. Point is this. We don't want to sacrifice our kids on the altar of sports. Because here's what I know. There's going to come a day. And I'll let the band come on out. There's going to come a day where your kid will be grown and they may have, in their sporting days, been, been able to throw a 90 mile an hour fastball, right? I mean, that dude could throw the heat, 90 miles an hour. And your little girl could do cartwheels and backflips and back tucks and all kinds of stuff. But now they're grown. And your boy is in a marriage that's fallen apart. And after an incredible argument, they're probably one signature away from signing those divorce papers, he goes into the backyard, picks up a baseball, just starts throwing 70 mile an hour fastballs. 
because he can't throw 90. And your little girl is having trouble in her marriage. And the husband's out, gone, checked out. Is she in her living room gonna be like, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to turn. I'll do a back tuck. Folks, they need more. They need more. So not only are we to adjust our orientation to say, hey, I'm not asking you to enjoy your team less. I'm asking you to love Jesus more. We're gonna have a blast here today celebrating Super Bowl, that's great. But we're gonna celebrate Jesus more in here. And it doesn't mean you take kids out of sports, it means you bring Jesus into sports. It's gonna affect some of your decisions. This is what it looks like to give yourself to him supremely. So Jesus, right now I pray, can we just bow our heads and close our eyes? If there's anybody here today that needs to cross the line of faith, as Norm mentioned, how, how bleak, how, how heartbreaking, if anybody were to leave this place not knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have a home in heaven when they die. Father, I pray everybody here would know it's so simple. There's no work required. Just cross the line of faith, believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. He conquered death to give you life. And he'll walk with you every step of the way, this way forward, just right where you are seated. Just call out to God in your heart. God, would you adopt me as your child? I believe. God, would you adopt me as your child? I believe. Would you pray that right where you are? And if you're praying online, let us know. Text LIFE to the number on your screen. In the room, find a pastor, go to VIP, tell them today I crossed the line of faith. Today I became a Christ follower. Today I gave Jesus my all. And maybe today's the day as we celebrate sports, sure. Let's celebrate the Savior even higher. Father, I pray that you correct our worship. I pray, God, that you lift our spirits. I pray, God, we reorient to you. I pray that you would have our hearts, our full hearts, our time, our treasure. Reorient us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.